Hello and welcome into the week eight episode here on Line Em Up, where we'll be talking about all things in the NFL week eight, lining up some game picks, some fantasy picks, and a little bit of everything in between, and lining up everything as always with me is Eric. Welcome back, everyone. Looking forward to another week of football. I think it's a tough card this week, but I had a good time last week, and I'm looking forward to talking about this one with uh, both of you guys that are with us today. And then completing the fabulous trio is Brendan. Let's rock and roll, boys. Rock and roll, indeed. And it was a little bit more rocks than rolls, if that's a way to put that. I don't know if that's a way to put that, but I'm going to make it that way now. For a couple teams in week seven, I think some standout disappointments were Packers losing that game to the Commanders. I patted myself on the back a little bit for a couple of out there picks I had with the Jets upsetting the Broncos and the Seahawks upsetting the Chargers. Um, And then on Monday night, Eric, probably your highlight of the season as a Bears fan, that Bears just romp over the Patriots, uh, no matter whether it was Mac Jones at quarterback, Bailey Zappi at quarterback. Didn't really matter. Bears, (laughs) Bears defense just showed up and showed out, and Justin Fields had himself a pretty good game. Um, But before we get into the Week 8 stuff, there were a couple of big personnel moves, uh, uh, benching a quarterback, a trade, and a pretty big injury that I want to get your guys' takes on as we head into Week 8. So for those who may or may not have been paying attention, the Colts have decided after that loss to the Titans to bench Matt Ryan. They are currently saying that it will be for the rest of the season and to go with Sam Ellinger, the former Texas Longhorn, at quarterback. Uh, So that is obviously a big move for a team that had aspirations and probably still has aspirations to win that division, but did not look good at all in week seven. uh, And, or, yeah, week seven. And then another move that we saw just today was. Kadarius Toney, former first-round pick of the New York Giants, gets traded for a conditional third-round pick and a sixth-round pick going to the Kansas City Chiefs. And so pretty easy to imagine him as maybe your ready-made Tyreek Hill replacement, uh, only a couple weeks late in terms of replacing Tyreek Hill. And then after that, we got other news today where Jamar Chase... Star wide receiver for the Bengals is going to be out four to six six weeks with, I believe, a hip injury. So of all those three things happen, those big moves that affect um, some pretty high-profile teams, guys, which one really stood out to you moving forward, not just for week eight, but maybe for the whole season? For the rest of the season, I'm definitely interested in how the Kadarius-Tony move plays out, not just because it's the most recent one, um, but also because I think – um, for fantasy purposes, it is interesting both for the Chiefs and for the Giants, who um, I think you're not necessarily happy about the Giants' offense losing a playmaker of Kadarius Tony's caliber, even though we've been yet to see him much of the season due to some hamstring injuries. But um, I do think that that clears up some of the uh, wide receiver room questions that I had anyway about uh, Wandale Robinson, and he's pretty much the de facto one for this offense going forward. Uh, as far as wide receivers go, obviously Saquon still in that in the backfield there. But um, I, I do think that the Tyreek comparison that you just made there, John, it's interesting because when you watch, when or at least when I've watched Kadarius Tony play football, he's when he's right and healthy, 
he's one of the closest players, I think, that can recreate what Tyreek does. And so I definitely see the appeal from the Chiefs' standpoint as far as, um, you know, they're one of the best teams in the league at finding creative ways to get playmakers the ball in uh, lots of space. And I think that's where Kadarius Toney can thrive. So I do think that there's a um, possibility that he can really flourish in Kansas City. And I'm also excited, as uh, as I mentioned, for Wandale Robinson and the prospects uh, for fantasy there. Eric, how do you see it? Which, uh, which of those three big headlines that we've had sort of developing over – Two of them just today, but uh, uh, the Ryan situation in Indianapolis and Ellinger, that's been developing for a couple of days. Which one do you feel has, you know, the, sending the biggest shockwaves through the NFL landscape? Ooh, the biggest shockwave? I guess it'd probably be the Bengals. Although, I guess for me, I feel like the Bengals might not lose too much of a step over the next four weeks. Um, I, I may need to look at their schedule again, but I believe they also have a bye scheduled uh, within those four weeks. I think the Bengals should be okay. Uh, I mean, they still have a lot of star talent in T. Higgins, and I think Tyler Boyd's been the number one, a number one receiver for the state team of four, so he can definitely step up. Uh, while Jamar Chase recovers, we'll just see if the offensive line still holds up and uh, Joe Mixon can get, get the ground running. But the Bengals have looked good over the past couple of weeks, so I don't think it'll happen too much or, or change too much for them. Uh, for me, I guess the most interesting one is still the Colts. I, I, you guys are much higher in the Colts than I am. Um, and so I think for me, it really almost removes them out of the picture. But I, I guess maybe too early for me to say. I think I think um, that the new quarterback could ha- add a new dynamic to this. I, I believe he has some rushing ability as well. Um, so that could open up more of the offense for them. And I think there's some optimism there. Um, that being said, they're going to need a few couple of weeks, I think, with more growing pains with a new quarterback. I think they might not have enough time to do that to get back in the race. Uh, so I think that might open up the AFC wildcard for a lot of other teams in, in that in that kind of area, in that ballpark. Yeah, I think Ellinger definitely could help the Colts running game almost immediately, maybe help get Jonathan Taylor going in a more meaningful way than what we've seen so far. But it's definitely going to be a adventure passing wise. We'll have to see what that offense looks like, uh, and if you know they make any more changes. If if this is really the season long change that they claim it to be, or what exactly is going to happen. But AFC South maybe got more interesting from a storyline perspective, but less interesting from a competitive perspective. As the Titans, I think with their four-game winning streak, uh, really have an opportunity to seize here. But that is why we play the football game, so we will have to see what exactly goes on uh, in Week 8, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, Just recapping our picks from last week, Eric, the winner in terms of the against the spread for Week 7, going 9-5, and and for perhaps not the first time all season, but uh, very... it's very seldom that this happens where one of us outperforms the consensus in a meaningful way. And Eric definitely did that last week, outperforming the consensus at nine and five. I went seven and seven, Brendan four and 10. We're not going to look too much into that. We know, uh, we know what Brendan could bring in terms of the picks. And so just a little blip on the radar there. Um, Both Eric and I did go nine and five against, or just straight up. I mean, and so we are tied in terms of the straight-up picks this season, but Eric holds that lead in the spread picks. So we'll see if we can uh, maybe chase him down a little bit this week. 
Uh, Eric, do you want to give us a quick recap of the uh, fantasy segment from last week before we get into week eight? Yeah, let's roll the starts of the week. I, I think it was a tough week overall for the three of us. Uh, of, of the three of us, uh, at our six picks, only one player qualified, and that was John here. He did pick Tony Pollard, who played well against the Detroit Lions. Uh, he <clears throat> scored uh, 11, almost 12 points, I guess. Uh, 23 overall is the, of the running back rankings um, as the game started. And John basically, de facto, by having the only player that qualified, because uh, for this segment, we needed to pick someone that was uh, scored 10 points. And then if they scored 10 points, we would add their total <coughs> to their Fantasy Pros rankings at the beginning of the games. Uh, and John pulled out 34.9 points as a result of Tony Pollard's qualifying, while Kenyon Drake, Romeo Dubs, Chris Godwin, Michael Gallup, and Melvin Gordon all put up stinkers, uh, or at least didn't put up anything meaningful for being starts of the week. Uh, so John gets his first win of the week, and the record there is two to me, one to John, and one to Brendan, I believe. So it's a close race again. <clears throat> and then for our start-sit decisions, we had George Pickens or Darnell Mooney. Uh, Pickens very clearly outperformed Darnell Mooney despite the Bears dominating the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. Pickens is clearly showing up as the most talented receiver on that group, <coughs> in that group uh, for the Steelers. And Brendan and John were able to get that right. <clears throat> Our next one was Jerry Judy or Jamal Williams, which is a fascinating one, I think. Uh, Brendan and John both went with Jamal Williams running back for the Detroit Lions, but I uh, went contrarian here and went Jerry Judy versus the New York Jets, and he was able to pull out 13.1 points. So I was able to get that start sits decision right. And finally, we had a defensive matchup of the Broncos or the Jaguars, and this was pretty straightforward. We all took the Broncos, and the Broncos pulled one out against uh, over this Jaguars defense. So overall, uh, Brendan's the main one that's plus 500 here, so he may be, he may be the one to listen to for the start sit decisions. Uh, but I think it's, it's an interesting discussion every week as we continue to have these fantasy uh, segments. Yeah, absolutely. So we will, of course, throw it back to the fantasy segment at the end of the show. But that's your recap for the week seven fantasy stuff. Thank you for that, as always, Eric. And let's move into the week eight schedule. Now, we are recording Thursday night right before the Ravens take on the Buccaneers. And... So, you know, as you listen to this, when you listen to this, uh, this game will have already happened, but we are going to talk about it like it is about to happen, as for us it is. And so, for this Ravens-Bucks game, gentlemen, it's a really close line. Both of these teams, I think, have underperformed to an extent, although where the Bucks are uh, sitting at a measly 3-4, and four, which is still somehow good enough to be leading the NFC South, probably speaks volumes about that division as a whole, I think the Bucks. where I was going was, uh, I think the Bucks have definitely underperformed greater than the Ravens have, but I don't think either team feels great about their season heading into this game. That all being said, which team do you think has a better chance of getting right in this one? Brendan, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw the spread, I saw it was close, and I saw that the Ravens were getting points. Immediately, my gut was, oh, I'm taking the Ravens, no, no question about it. And then... I thought back to, well, why is this spread favoring the Buccaneers? I know they're playing at home, but they just got shellacked by the Panthers who have traded Christian McCaffrey away about, you know, 48, 72 hours right before that game. And the Bucks really just don't look like they can do anything on offense. And 
Um, you know, all that being said, you guys are both on the Ravens. I completely understand and respect that, but uh, something inside of me is telling me that this is going to be the Bucks get right game. I don't really know that I can quantify it, but I do think that um, given the frustrations that they've had in the last few weeks, an embarrassment like they had last week specifically against Carolina is possibly what the Bucks need to wake up. And I think this Ravens team, um, they might actually be slightly overrated, even though I still highly um, value this team going forward. I do think that um, some of the games that they've played have been overblown a little bit just, be, just based on their highly successful halves of football or three quarters of football that they've played. But I don't think that we've really seen this Ravens team put together a complete performance yet. And I don't really know that that's going to come against the Buccaneers in Tampa this week. So for those reasons, I'm going to lay the two points with the Bucs. Um, and I'm going to obviously have the Bucs winning straight up. Um, I, I, again, I don't really fault anyone for saying that the Ravens should win this game. Personally, I took I was on the Ravens first half money uh, earlier today. I was looking at that, but... Um, Again, I don't know. Just something inside of me is telling me that the Bucks win this game, and I think they'll cover the two points. Eric, you you obviously see this one differently. Why do you think the Ravens pull this one out? Yeah, I think it's more of their performance, the Buccaneers, rather, uh, coming from last week. I, I think this is a tough game to pick. I mentioned earlier at the top of the show that this entire card, all these games this week, are pretty hard to, to pick, in my opinion. And this is definitely one of them to start off the week. I, I think the... Biggest factor for me is the Buccaneers haven't been as stout on the on the rushing defense as they have over the past couple of weeks, or over the past couple of years rather. Uh, last week, as we mentioned against the Carolina Panthers, they just let Chuba Hubbard and uh, Deontay Foreman just run all over them. Uh, and this is like as I mentioned, this wasn't this was a team without Christian McCaffrey, and the Carolina Panthers are still able to do what they want on the ground. And obviously, what we know from the Ravens is that they excel on the ground, particularly with a rushing quarterback Lamar Jackson. Uh, and they're going to have a bevy of, of uh, players out of the backfield, whether it be Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Kenyon Drake. They're going to be able to rotate them in, and I think they're going to be able to punish this Buccaneers defense. And with the offense not playing particularly well either against this Ravens or, or against uh, even against the, the Panthers defense last week, I don't have as much confidence in Tom Brady being able to take it over the top, but maybe he'll, he'll prove us wrong. Like I think a lot of people, as Brendan mentioned, are thinking this is going to be a get-right game. For the Buccaneers, uh, I think this just might be a possible sign that this could be the end and he needs to uh, kind of turn it around and it won't be as straightforward the rest of the way for, for Tom Brady. Yeah, it's interesting because neither of these teams excel at taking away the other one's strength. The Ravens are a much better team against the run than they are against the pass, although some injuries in their front seven may even test their ability against the run. The Bucks are a much better team against the pass than they are run, relatively speaking. And so you're having two offenses that are playing to their strengths, basically. But I think for me, the great decider is I just have way more faith at the moment in the playmaking ability of Lamar Jackson, all of the elements he brings to the table. And because of that, I just don't really feel confident in anything the Bucks are doing. And so I'll take the Ravens, I'll take the points, and I'll go from there. All right, so we'll move on from there to the Broncos at Jaguars, two teams that I think at different points in the season, but I think they both had 
high expectations at one point or another. This game is in London, um, so we'll see if that plays a factor. I know the Jaguars used to be regulars in London, and so maybe they have Take a bit that, of a, England. <laughs> a bit of a fan base or a bit of a following that can boost them here. And I'll lead us off with this one. I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. There's nothing about the, what the Broncos are doing right now that gives me any faith. Uh, last week, Russell Wilson did miss that game against the Jets with a hamstring injury, and Brett Rippon was the one who was in there starting. He obviously didn't get really much of anything going, certainly not much more than what we got when Russell Wilson was in there. So I, I just have no faith. And there was someone who suggested that it wouldn't be ridiculous if the Broncos were to move on from Nathaniel Hackett after this game should they lose to the Jaguars. I don't know if that's going to really be what they do because I think firing a coach midseason pretty much dooms that season um, no matter what you think about that coach. But I, I just don't have any faith, and so I'll take the Jaguars to win and the Jaguars to cover the two-and-a-half point spread. Yeah, maybe they just leave them in London, John. Maybe they just leave them well, Hackett there. Isn't that uh? News. Didn't that happen with Urban Meyer last year? <laughs> Similar. <laughs> Similar, but I think I think Urban oh. Meyer's was voluntary. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to stay back because it was a game in Ohio, right? Yeah, he was trying to get some booty. <laughs> I don't think Nathaniel Hackett is from like England, though. So I think like he'll be a little lost if we if they just leave him there. But. I, I I agree with you, John. I'm I'm with the Jaguars. I, I have a little more faith in what they can do on both sides of the ball. I, I still think the Jaguars' defense is underrated. They haven't performed particularly well over the past two weeks, in particular. Uh, but I think this is definitely a game where they're going to showcase their talent and play well against a struggling Broncos offense. And we're going to see the most out of what I'm hoping is Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne out of the backfield. Uh, I think they're going to showcase what ETN has without James Robinson splitting the carries. Uh, maybe they get Jamichael Hasty involved more, but I think they're going to really, at least I would hope that they really showcase uh, what ETN has as, as a vote of confidence after trading away James Robinson. And for me, I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I think I, I still say the Broncos have a very underrated defense. Maybe it's underrated. I don't know. Maybe people respect them. But I, I my fear here is that the Broncos could shut down this uh, Jaguars offense, but I don't have enough confidence in them putting enough points, so that's why I'm going to lead more of the Jaguars and going to give away the two and a half points to this Broncos team and take them with the spread and straight up. Yeah, I'm going to close my eyes and ride with Russell Wilson all the way over to London and take both the Broncos to cover and win straight up. Uh, once again, I do think that if the Broncos lose this game, John, there is a uh, very real possibility that Nathaniel Hackett is fired after this game. And to your point of a lost season, uh, I would argue that, you know, if they're two and six, it's, it's pretty much lost at this point anyway. So you might as well cut ties while you have um, reason to anyway. And maybe this is kind of like a Ted Lasso situation where Nathaniel Hackett gets left over in London and just starts coaching a soccer team over there instead. But um, all that being said, I do think that the Broncos team – that we've seen through the first seven weeks is highly underperforming still. And I think part of that is mental with Russell Wilson. And I don't know for sure that he'll ever come out of that completely and be the star quarterback that the Broncos had hoped when they acquired him. But um, from the standpoint of defense, as Eric was talking about, I do think that the Broncos defense will be able to contain this Jags offense 
Trevor Lawrence is one of the most impacted quarterbacks in the league. I keep saying it by pressure, and I think this Denver Broncos defense has multiple different packages that they can use to uh, mix up the looks and kind of confuse this offensive line and get some get some pressure on Trevor Lawrence in the backfield. So, again, I'm just going to close my eyes, put on my blindfold, not watch the game, not get up and watch it at 6 a.m. or whatever time it is, and just hope that I wake up and see that the Broncos have – Scored about 17 or 20 points, and hopefully that's enough to uh, beat this Jaguars team in London. But who knows? Who, who has a bigger game, Cortland Sutton or Christian Kirk? I'll take Sutton. I'll take Kirk just because I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to expect from any Broncos player. I, 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 it sounds like a little bit of a broken record, but I just really don't. All right, I'm taking Kirk as well. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> All right, so we'll move off of that one and head back stateside where we get an NFC South matchup between the Panthers coming off their nice win over Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and the Falcons who got Joe Burrowed and Jamar Chased all over last week uh, in a offensive shootout between them and the Bengals. Uh, prior to that, we had mentioned last week that the Falcons were – 6-0 and against the spread, but they failed to cover against the Panthers. And so, gentlemen, do we believe in P.J. Walker, or do we think Carolina regresses back to their meager mean in this one against the Falcons? That was some good alliteration there. I like that. Uh, I'm going to side with the Panthers on the spread, and I'm actually going to don my uh, steel cup and say that the Panthers win two games in a row after trading Christian McCaffrey away. This is actually one that I flipped off, flip-flopped on a lot this week, and I actually just changed both my entries right before as you were doing the intro to this game, John. I think the more that I think about it, this Panthers defense is really, really undervalued by the league just based on how putrid their offense is, and they really don't have any business winning any games with how terrible their offense is. But that being said, we saw last week, this Panthers defense can be a factor. And if anything can be said about this Falcons team, they are very willing to be controlled and one-dimensional, and I think the Panthers and the Falcons both know what to expect heading into this game. The Falcons want to run the ball, and I think the Panthers can do a decent job controlling that, and there's not going to be much in the passing game from an Atlanta standpoint, as we've seen. Uh, you know, single-digit, like, teen amounts of passing attempts per game right now for the Falcons makes pretty much any Falcons pass catcher, including Kyle Pitts, unplayable in fantasy right now. So I think all that being said, the Falcons should win this game, but just like the Buccaneers should have won the game last week, the Panthers uh, have some fight in them. And I think the defense could keep them in games longer than most teams will expect. And before you know it, time's up and the Panthers have won a game. So I'm going to roll with them for two weeks in a row. Eric, you on the PJ PJ Walker bandwagon? That was harder to say than I thought, as well. <laughs> uh, this is a tough game for me. My initial uh, thought for this game was like, I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. This is the divisional matchup where the Panthers just upset a well, we expected to be a top tier team in the Buccaneers, and the Falcons just got dominated by a Cincinnati Bengals team. Both of these teams are barely one-dimensional on the most part. I know we're talking about P.J. Walker a lot, but I think they rely a lot more on their rushing ability uh, in, uh, in Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard last week, and that's what kind of 
got out of hand against the Buccaneers. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, they don't let Marcus Mariota, or on the other side of the field, they don't let Marcus Mariota really throw the ball too much. So it's very difficult to say. I agree with Brendan that the Panthers have a very underrated defense for the most part. I think they play up to a, a lot of competition. And it's going to be interesting to see how these defenses match up against such a one-dimensional offense from my perspective. So I'm taking the Panthers. I, I think their, their defense is going to keep this game very close. Uh, this is a four and a half point spread in favor of the Falcons. So I'm going to, I'm going to take those four and a half points. That being said, uh, I'm still going to take the Falcons here. Uh, and I think this is going to be a very close game. I think this might be a last minute kick by, uh, their kicker to kind of pull this one out. I think that's just the type of games that the Falcons play. And I kind of mentioned that the Falcons are going to play a lot of exciting games throughout the year. I think this is just going to be one of them. Um, so I think four and a half points is a lot of points to give away. So I'm taking the as I said, taking the Panthers uh, with a spread and the Falcons straight up. Eric, can't believe you blanked on Young Hoku, Falcons legend Young Hoku, representing for all the Koreans out there. Um, you do, you guys did a really good job of trying to sell me on this. I'm not buying it. Uh, the Panthers are. Like you said, one-dimensional. They cannot take advantage of the fact that the Falcons have the worst pass defense in the entire league. And if you look at the numbers, the Falcons are actually top five in rushing defense. And the Panthers are bottom half of the league in rushing defense. I think that combined with uh, the fact that I just think there's a little bit more explosiveness in Marcus Mariota at quarterback, even if he is somewhat limited as a passer. Uh, I just have a little bit more faith in him than I do anything that PJ Walker might be able to do. Maybe PJ Walker surprises me yet again, but I'm not buying it. I'm taking the Falcons to both win and cover. I I think I almost flipped Eric there on picking the Panthers straight up, but I'm not sure. Uh, I heard no, some hesitation not. in his voice. Uh, Ooh. Oh no, actually, if you were, if I if I was actually being honest, I was actually just thinking of like. Can I take the Panthers with the spread and still take the Falcons straight up? I like hesitated there for a moment. I was like, wait, is this possible? And I was like, wait, yes, I can still have the Falcons win by a field goal. So that, that's honestly what I'm going to say on air as why I hesitated. But I, as I mentioned, I think this is a pretty confusing game in general. And I think our picks kind of exemplify that with one person taking the Panthers uh, with the spread and straight up, one person taking the Falcons with the spread and straight up, and one person kind of splitting in the middle there all right so we'll move off of that one on to another nfc matchup and eric i want to stick with you here because this game features your beloved chicago bears coming off of that impressive performance on monday night they're facing a dallas team that you know they won handily against the lions but i, I wouldn't say that their offense was explosive by any means and so I'm a little surprised, Eric, that this is not a clean sweep for Bears cover, but Cowboys win, given that this is a nine and a half point line that your Bears are uh, the underdogs on and thus getting those points. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, actually, that uh, you guys aren't as more confident in the Cowboys defense, I guess. I think I think it's a little too much stock in last week's game for the Chicago Bears versus New England Patriots. I think the New England Patriots had a lot of issues on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe a lot of credit to my Chicago Bears' defense, but I think I still am pretty pessimistic in what the Chicago Bears can put out 
on the offensive side of the ball, and they also just traded Robert Quinn over to the Eagles, so their their defense is going to shake up a little bit as well. And this Cowboys team has a dominant defense that shut down what was expected to be, I think, or at the very least at the beginning of the year, a, a top-tier, high-scoring, maybe not top-tier, but high-scoring Detroit Lions offense. And they didn't let them score at all. So I think, I think that's the kind of game script I'm expecting, pessimistically, uh, for this Bears-Cowboys game. And I think the Cowboys are just going to ride along. We're just going to kind of forget what happened with the Chicago Bears against the New England Patriots. I'm optimistic that they can do what you guys are suggesting and cover the spread, keep this game close. But I, I, I just don't see them being able to do that. I like we questioned last week. Just we barely even talked about the game, I guess. I guess because Brendan mentioned that, oh, how are the Chicago Bears even going to score against this Patriots defense? I think the Cowboys defense is better than this Patriots defense, so I think this is just right along up that alley. That's why I'm taking the Cowboys with the spread and straight up against my Chicago Bears. Brendan, anything to add? Yeah, I, yeah my big uh, – so, Eric, I'll say that I do agree with you. I think people are going to way overvalue this Bears spread. And initially when I first looked at it, I was thinking I was going to be all over the Cowboys. And then I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I'm thinking, last week the Cowboys didn't look very good on offense at all. And I think mm-hmm. in the first half before Amon Ross St. Brown got hurt, the Detroit Lions actually looked – good on offense and I think they were cutting up this Cowboys defense in a way that I don't think the Cowboys would have won that game necessarily if Amon Ra didn't get held out in concussion protocol in that game and I think it was kind of a domino effect after Amon Ross St. Brown was taken out of the game because you know a game plan centered around a superstar like that falls apart very quickly when he misses the majority of the game and you have to lean on other players who aren't as talented as he is um, you know, they were without DeAndre Swift last week when they played the Cowboys. All of that factored in. The Cowboys didn't make this league worst by a mile. Detroit Lions defense looked terrible last week. And for that, that doesn't give me any confidence going in to cover a nine and a half point spread against even a terrible Chicago Bears team. So I get what you're saying. I, I think both teams are overvalued based on last week's result. Um, but coming into it, I just, I can't lay, I can't get myself to lay that many points with a Cowboys team that I don't think can score that much. And again, I know the bears are bad, but I I do think their defense is decent enough to keep them close in this game long enough that they can find a way to cover nine and a half. Yeah. The big thing here for me is that the bears, like you said, the bears do have a good defense and the bears especially have a good defense against the pass. And I think the Cowboys are you know, they haven't been a great rushing team all year. Um, Tony Pollard certainly has given them a little bit of life when Zeke has been lacking and, and just not showing up in the ways that he has in the past. But I think more and more as Dak gets healthier and gets back into rhythm and, and gets back into the feel of things, the Cowboys are going to want to air the ball out. But against the Bears, that's the wrong formula for success. The Bears are third in the league in terms of passing yards allowed per game, and they do it without a dominant pass rush. So they're just fundamentally sound in the passing game, and I think that's enough to keep this game close where the Cowboys, who are, I'll say it, struggling for an identity offensively, I feel like is a fair way to put things, given the change that they've gone through and back and forth between Dak and Cooper Rush and back to Dak and the 
you know, struggles with Zeke and the running game and all of that. They're struggling for that identity. I don't think they're going to really find their identity against this talented and well-coached Bears defense. And so I think it's another low-scoring game where that 9.5 points is more than enough to cover for the Bears. I love those arguments, and I'm, I'm rooting for the Bears here. I hope they can do it. They have they played a lot of games close. The, the only game that they've lost by more than one possession is basically the Green Bay Packers at the beginning of the year. Um, they've only lost to the Giants by eight points, the Vikings by seven points, and the Commanders by five points. So if this is nine and a half points, is a lot. So I, I completely agree. So I, I love the optimism from you guys. I'm hoping that's what we're going to see. I, I'm curious, though, real quick. Would you guys take the Bears or the Lions straight up? Right? Bears. Mm. I would take the Lions if they're healthy. Okay. okay. Yeah, but I, I the Lions can't be healthy. Lions. That's it. Like, that's an <laughs> improbability. That's a, not an improbability. Sure. That's a damn near impossibility. Sure. Okay. At this point, at this point, when we cover the Lions game, we're expecting DeAndre Swift, T.J. Hawkinson, and Amon Ross St. Brown all to be healthy because they've all been practicing, and that's what they're forecasted to do this Sunday. So I would say, if the Bears were playing the Lions this Sunday. I would take the Lions. <laughs> I would also take the Lions. So does that mean you have faith for the Lions in our next game against the Dolphins, where they are three-and-a-half-point road <laughs> underdogs? Well, it's funny you say that, Chuck, because no, I don't. I'm actually on the Dolphins because the Dolphins are not the Bears, and I think that is the key differentiator here in the argument that I just made. <laughs> the Lions uh, I, are not the Bears. All right. I do think that the oh. Dolphins, their defense is not good, and I, do, I, I expect this game to be a shootout fully. Um, but three and a half points, I mean, this Dolphins team can put up, they could easily put up 40 and sure the Lions might, you know, hit high twenties, hit the 30 point threshold and make this game a real back and forth barn burner. But, um, I just don't see a way that this Lions defense slows down Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. They're terrible against the pass. I think they're going to very, I think the Dolphins are going to find it very easy to get, uh, all those playmakers in space. Not to mention that they're also terrible against the run. And Raheem Mostert has actually looked really, really good the last few weeks. And I expect him to continue having more success going forward. And that definitely includes this week. So I'll take the Dolphins. I'll lay the three and a half points. And I can't imagine that there's much argument from either of you guys. While, while you were talking, I took some notes that uh, Dolphins and Bears are, in fact, different. In fact, different animals and different football teams. thought that was they important are. One to of note. Them, one of them can breathe underwater and the other one can't. I mean, they both could swim pretty good, though. Anyway, moving on. I actually, I actually panicked after I said that. Do dolphins actually breathe underwater? We're gonna have to fact check that. Probably no, not. No, they right? don't. They're mammals, yeah, so yeah, definitely not. <laughs> they they come up for air, then they swim. Whatever. Then they come up what, for air. You know what I meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably won't need to uh, come up for air from a metaphorical standpoint against the lions, though, because I definitely think that they will be very comfortable in this one. And uh, like you said. The Lions defense and these skill players that the, the Dolphins have, all the speed they have, is just a bad combination, even if you do think Lion beats Bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think I think Dolphins the official too fast for Lions. Yeah, I think the official flowchart is Dolphin beats Lion. <laughs> Lion beats Bear. Just like nature intended it. Just like nature yes. intended it, playing out in the NFL. Um, now moving on to a game where we can't really rely on nature to pick the winner here, and that is the Cardinals facing the Vikings. And the Vikings are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this one at home, so same line as the Dolphins-Lions game, but this time home team as the favorite. And 
I'm a little surprised here, especially from you, Eric, that you expect this to be a close game because I know that you've been pretty high on the Vikings all season. Oh, man, I'm definitely high on them, which is why I'm still taking them straight up. But I think the Cardinals also are a team similar to the Falcons where they continue to play a lot of games close. Uh, they start to wake up in the second half, and I think the Vikings are susceptible to that. Uh, the Vikings are coming off the bye, but they might be still a little sleepy, and I think that's always a possibility for a home team coming off a bye. So I, I think the Cardinals and Vikings are going to play a very close game, I, and the Vikings are giving away three and a half points here. So I think this could very well be a field goal game, which is why I'm taking the Cardinals with the spread, and I'm, but I'll still take the Vikings uh, straight up to continue to lead the NFC North. Brennan, do you see it the same way, or you know, do you feel like maybe there's a little bit more spice in this game than meets the eye? Uh, I do think there's a little bit more spice than Eric's describing. I don't actually think that it's going to be particularly close, but I, I do think that it's going to be a game that's a tale of two halves. As we know, the Cardinals uh, have started particularly slow uh, in the first half of games this year, and the Vikings are on the opposite end of that spectrum, and I fully expect that to play out in this game. Um, but... The Cardinals' offense with DeAndre Hopkins is just different gravy at this point. I mean, I didn't think that it was going to be as drastic as it was last week, but he was immediately plugged in, immediately looked just like his old self, and that Cardinals' offense really does flow through him. All that being said, I'm also super high on the Vikings, kind of like Eric, but I do think that they've had uh, a little bit more fortunate results based on their advanced metrics and their current record than – most people would realize. And for that reason, I think that they're slightly overrated in the market right now. So I'll take the three and a half points. I'm getting with the Cardinals. I like when that number is just over a field goal because that gives me a little bit of wiggle room, but I will be uh, siding with the Cardinals straight up as well. Uh, I think that this is a game that we can expect a lot of points to be put up and that's good for fantasy and good for good football to watch. So this game's taking place on October the 30th. Uh, Do you know what happens on October the 28th, gentlemen? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> my my fifth wedding anniversary? I mean that, but also the release of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. So oh, no. we all know what that means when we're talking about the Cardinals. Vikings win this one. Vikings cover. Kyler Murray's going to be too busy worrying about prestiging and shooting people and lobbing grenades. And he may uh, just let's be real. Know, let's lob be a real, couple John. of touchdowns. Let's be real. He got early access to the game. He's had the game for weeks at this point. So there's no way that he's going to be still doing all this novice stuff with Call of Duty on over the weekend. Wait, is that I think, is is it is him having had the game for weeks better than him having to wait for like the regular people when it comes to his yeah, ability yeah, yeah, yeah. to play football? Yeah, it is because my point is that, that that's already baked into the number that we're seeing now. The the effect was two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, I think. Looking at last week's stats for the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints, it, it looks like he's been playing Call of Duty because you're right. He threw 14 targets at DeAndre Hopkins, and no one else got more than two receptions in that receiving core. So, like, I think this Arizona Cardinals offense is okay because Kyler Murray's not going to look at anyone else. So, I don't, and, and the Carolina, oh, sorry, the Arizona Cardinals last week. Basically one because it got two pick sixes against the New Orleans Saints, and I don't think that's going to happen against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, yeah Andy Dalton exactly. really gave so, that game away. Quickly before exactly. we go on, I just want to say about the Cardinals offense, I agree, Eric, they didn't look super great last week, but I think part of that is because they didn't really have A.J. Green. Even though he was active, he wasn't playing, and that kind of forces Rondale Moore to not be in the slot and play outside. 
And what we've seen in the past, and we were, that was corroborated last week, was that when Rondale's forced to play on the outside, he's not very successful in that role, and he doesn't get as much separation. So I think the I actually think the addition of Robbie Anderson is really going to help the offense this week. I think DeAndre and Robbie Anderson on the outside will give Rondale his natural spot back in the slot, and that's really going to open things up for both Rondale and the rest of this Cardinals offense. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if the DeAndre Hopkins effect outdoes the Call of Duty effect, but either way, I'm rolling with the Vikings. Nice that you mentioned the Saints in that last one because we are moving on to Raiders at Saints. Andy Dalton still the quarterback. And is Andy Dalton versus Derek Carr with Devontae Adams enough of a reason to just stay away from the Saints in this one, gentlemen? Oh, gosh. Honestly, John, I don't. I really don't know. Like I, This is another one that I flip-flopped on a bunch this week. Like The Raiders could very easily come out and win this game by 20, but they could also come out and just lose this game by 20. Like. I feel like the Raiders are such a hot and cold team, and it's it plays out like this every single year. And every single year there's weeks where the Raiders have this close spread game, and it's like I, I really don't know what to do with this because I can't rely on the Raiders coming out and performing to their potential and putting up 35 points against the Saints defense. But I also can't expect them to come out and just have no success at all with playmakers like Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs on the team. So – it looks like we're all siding with the Raiders to cover the point and a half and obviously win straight up that way in New Orleans. Um, but the main concern that I have right now is that Devontae Adams is actually dealing with what looks like some sort of flu or illness that he, he hasn't practiced for the last two days, which would be Wednesday and Thursday at, at the time of recording. So something to monitor going forward. Obviously, I'm expecting him to play, but maybe he's not 100% by Sunday. So it makes me a little bit worried. Obviously, he was in... Kyler Murray's Call of Duty lobby, so you know could that's be what he was could be dealing with. Um, no, but I, I just think that the way Josh Jacobs is playing, the sort of question marks that are just littered throughout this New Orleans roster, this New Orleans team, uh, it, it could be a fun game, it could be a competitive game, but I don't really expect it to be a game where the Saints win. And when the line's only one and a half, I just you know tend to say okay. Better team wins the game, better team covers the line. Just is how it works. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty close, close spread. Uh, the Raiders are giving away one and a half points here. This is a tough game for me as well, as, as Brenda mentioned. Both of these teams are have two wins. Uh, Raiders are coming off a bye with four losses. Saints have five losses. I definitely think that these teams are better than what their record shows. The Saints have played six of their seven games within one score. They're, they're only... Two score loss was a 10-point loss against the Buccaneers. Everything else has been within one score. And I think, as as you alluded to, John, I think this is going to be a, a, kind of a fun game, kind of a close game between this Raiders and Saints team. Um, but, yeah, we're all on the Raiders. I think the Raiders are the more uh, underrated team at the moment. I think that, definitely think they're way better than 2-4. and four. Um, And I think it's going to course correct over these next couple of weeks. So that's why I'm taking the Raiders here. Yeah, and with uh, both the Chiefs and the Chargers on by, a little bit of an opportunity for the Raiders to uh, make up some ground, at least temporarily, in that AFC West. So definitely excited to see how that one plays out. One where I'm a little bit less excited because I feel like after Week 7, the intrigue in this game has all but disappeared. And that is the Patriots, who are somehow still the favorites in this game, traveling to the Jets. Can anybody explain to me why the Patriots would be favored in this game? Because I just don't see it. Yeah, I can real easily, John. Uh, The market doesn't like when a star player goes down and is out for the season. 
And the main reason that this line is favoring the Patriots right now is because Brees Hall obviously tore his ACL last week and is going to be missing. But my question to you is if this was a pick as it was forecasted to be before last Sunday and last Monday, why would Brees Hall going down and the Patriots getting destroyed by the Bears push the line toward the Patriots? I don't think Brees – I mean, Brees Hall's phenomenal. He's an outstanding running back. I think – Barring the injury that he had last week, he could have been the top running back in the league for both fantasy and and the NFL, honestly. He's that skilled. But the running back position is not as valuable as they're forecasting. And even though the Jets are a run-heavy team, I think with Michael Carter this week and with the committee that they're going to be rolling out, I think it's going to be okay. And this Patriots defense is stout. I do still believe that, despite their poor performance against Justin Fields last week. But... I think Zach Wilson and the Jets can find a way to get this done. I actually had the Jets winning this game, and it looks like you boys agree with me. Yeah, I just, I don't understand. The Jets have played well. They're not by any means like a super explosive team, and Brees Hall being out obviously is a pretty big dent in their offensive potential. But the Jets have played like a good team, Brees Hall or no Brees Hall, and I don't think the Patriots have played like a good team. I, I think they... There's... Sorry, John, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I just think, you know, uh, they've gotten some results. Uh, you know, the, the Lions and the Brown wins were impressive, but maybe that's a bigger indictment on how talented and, and how well coached those Lions and Browns teams are rather than how good the Patriots are. And the quarterback controversy, I think, in New England doesn't help. But the Jets, I think they have every confidence and they have every reason to want to come out and, you know, show the world that they have finally surpassed the mighty Belichickian empire with the Patriots. And I think this is the game that they do it. Sorry, I got really excited when I realized that I missed a point on my notes that I wanted to talk about this game. So I definitely just wasn't paying attention to what you're saying and assumed that that was the end of your sentence. But um, (laughs) the other thing that I think that is affecting this market right now is that the public knows that the Patriots have owned the Jets in the past, and you just alluded to that and kind of attributed it to Bill Belichick. I would say that that's much more due to the fact that Tom Brady used to be their quarterback and not Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi or whatever is going to happen. But for that reason, I think the public looks at that and says, the Patriots own the Jets, Patriots should be favored, Patriots minus two and a half, let's take the Patriots. All of that makes sense to Joe Schmo betting at their local sportsbook, but... Um, you know, when you look at this Jets team, I think that they have a lot more fight in them than uh, Jets teams of the past that were rolling up against uh, the greatest quarterback that's ever played in the history of football. All right, well, I'm happy then if the public likes it because I've seen a bunch of numbers this season that say the public doesn't know what they're talking about and that fading the public is really the best way to bet. So go Jets. Oh, by far. I'll just say, while I'm also with you guys and taking the Jets here, uh, this was still a tough game for me to pick personally. I, I know, John, you're suggesting that this two and a half points is crazy, but I think this depends on how much confidence. I, I mean, I guess Brendan put a lot more confidence in Michael Carter and, and James Robinson uh, and this rushing game. But And you're also suggesting, John, that Brees Hall or no Brees Hall, this Jets team has been playing well. But I think we've also mentioned before on this podcast that Zach Wilson is not a great quarterback. So I think this is also a line that exemplifies that Vegas doesn't have confidence in Zach Wilson taking the reins without a dynamic person in the odds backfield like Reese Hall. So I think there's definitely some signs of this possibly being a trap game. And, uh, I mean, people taking the Jets here. 
so I, I'm very cautious about this game personally. I think you guys are far more confident about this game than I am. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe you're right, Eric, but I, I just I just don't see it. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I think it's one worth tuning into at the very least. Uh, out of curiosity, Jets are plus 135 and making the playoffs at 5-2. and two. Would you take that? Mm, no, this is I like would the not. same. This is like the same argument with the Giants. Like, who do they have yeah. to play? <laughs> I mean, they have to play the Bills twice, which doesn't help. Like, you might but, as well just say they're five and four, and are they going to make? The I mean, they're going to play the Patriots twice in the next two weeks. In the next, sorry, next three weeks, they're playing the Bears, Vikings, and Lions. Jaguars, I'll put it this Seahawks, way. I'll put it this way. I don't know that I have the utmost confidence. Like, I don't know if I have as much confidence in the Jets to make the playoffs as I do the Giants. Uh, part of that may come down to I just value what Brian Dable brings and, and the way he's changed that team more than what I've seen from Robert Sala and his staff. But I don't think it's crazy to suggest that the Jets could win four or five games down the stretch. I don't think it's crazy to say that they can go 2-0 and against the Patriots. I don't think it's crazy to say that they could beat teams like the Lions, Jaguars, and maybe even the Seahawks. And that gets them to 10 wins, at which point I think they're a shoo-in for the playoff. I think 10 wins gets you in the playoffs. And so the road is a lot less straightforward than it is for the Giants, who I just think have a much easier schedule. But I don't think it's outlandish to think the Jets could make the playoffs, no. Okay. Well, certainly I, I not. Think no. yeah. It's certainly yeah. not outlandish based on the line, but I'll have to consult my flowchart as far as where the Jets land mixed in with Dolphins and Bears and Lions before I get back to you on that. They will match up so this, this year, so you definitely need to shake up that flowchart flow chart yeah. as we get to those episodes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so moving off of that one into a game that is certainly – going to be less close, certainly going to be less competitive. And that is the battle for the Keystone State, Pennsylvania. I believe that's Keystone State. Hope I'm right. Sorry, Pennsylvania, if I'm wrong there. But oh, the battle bad. between... Oh, no. What's the Keystone State? Where am I, where am I going with that? Well, it's, it's, it's Pennsylvania now. Oh, okay. It is. It is. No, it is. Thank you. It's Keystone State. It is. Yeah. Why is Pennsylvania called the Keystone State? Thank you. Yeah, there you go. All right, either way, Steelers at Eagles. These teams used to be a combined team called the Steagles. They are no longer a combined team anymore, and the Eagles are very much a better team. And so the only question I have for you, boys, is the line's at 11. This game is in Philly, worth noting. The line's at 11. The Steelers are coming off two games against teams that were much better than they are in the Bills and the Dolphins it, with a game against the Buccaneers mixed in that I just completely glossed over, which they won that game, so I don't know why I glossed that <laughs> over. But sure. anyway, they had these two games with these big lines. And in one game against the Bills, they did not show up at all. In the game against the Dolphins, they very much showed up, and they were able to cover that line, albeit I think only by a point. But a cover is a cover. So... Do they have any chance, any prayer to cover this line? Eric, you want to take this one? Well, I think for me, I commend anybody who would take the Steelers in, in taking the points here. I, they've gained a lot of public, uh, what is it, momentum, I guess, I don't know, over the past two weeks and being able to cover the spread. But I think this is one of those trap games where they kind of just let you down against the Eagles uh, and, and Vegas kind of rakes in the money here. I, I think I think the Eagles are coming off a bye here, and I think this – 
uh, Eagles team on both sides of the ball is going to play particularly well rested against this Steelers team that I still don't think is particularly talented enough to uh, compete against against this Eagles team. So I'm taking the Eagles with the spread and straight up here. Every pessimistic Steelers bone in my body, and there are a lot of them, wanted to just say, yeah, there's not, they're not going to cover. But I don't think this this Eagles offense presents the same lethality, the same just killer, you know, throw the ball over the top, just completely disrespect you kind of game that the Bills have. And so for that reason, I'm going to take the Steelers to cover. Now, will I maybe regret this come Monday morning? Sure. But that's sort of been the life of a Steelers fan this season. So why stop that? Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, good. John. Yeah. You definitely got to don the, the steel underpants to back the Steelers in this one. But uh, I don't – I don't know. I, I agree with you the Eagles don't have the lethality or whatever you said to to go over the top like steel the Bills offense does. Keystone State. <laughs> Keystone State. Yes. <laughs> Um, but all that being said, I, I don't think that they really have to. I think they can play their offense, and their defense is going to get the job done. And the only thing that worries me is that this smells like backdoor cover written all over it. Mm-hmm. So I, I am a little bit worried about that, especially with laying 11 points. But, uh, I mean, the, this Eagles team is a different class. It's a different breed than the Steelers at this point. So it's it's tough to say that I can side with the Steelers despite any amount of points that they're getting right now. All right, boys. Well, just we'll have to see, you know, get your Keystone light, shake your keys for the Keystone State, and we'll <laughs> see which team light. which team uh, comes out on top. The Keystone State? <laughs> no, I, I'm sure I the so. fact that it's called <laughs> Keystone Light it has to do with the fact that, I don't know. I don't, I don't really I def- know. I really, really <laughs> hope that. I really hope it's the other way around. <laughs> That it's called Keystone State because of Keystone Light? Yeah, I highly doubt it. But who is to say? Before we just go completely off the rails, let's go with the uh, Titans and the Texans here. Eric, I'll let you talk about this one first because I know you're big on the Titans. Um, This just kind of seems like a keep the train rolling kind of thing. Does it not? Yeah, I I completely agree, John. The Titans are giving away two points against the Texans. They are playing an away game in uh, at, at Texans, um, so I think it's going to be. Uh, I guess I guess the Texans have the possibility of playing a close game, but it's only a two point spread here, and I think the Titans are going to be perfectly fine after playing particularly well against the Indianapolis Colts last week. Uh, playing another divisional matchup, I think they're going to take the reins, and I think they're just going to keep running with Derrick Henry. I, I don't think there's too much to say from my side. I just, I, I mean, you can basically pencil me in every single week for whoever is playing against the Titans because at this point I'm just sitting here waiting for this Titans team to fall apart on the house of cards that they've built across last season and this season. Uh, it didn't work last week against the Colts. Maybe it happens this week. I'll take the Texans with the two points they're getting. I'll take the Texans to win straight up. Uh, you know, this, this Titans team is going to have to go into Houston and play in the Keystone State of Texas. Uh, it's going to be tough for them to take a victory out of there. And I think Houston finds a way to manage the game long enough that they can find a way to win it at the end. This is not the Keystone State. We've moved out of the Keystone State. No, no more they're, all, they're, all, the, they're all the Keystone State now. <laughs> no, this is the Lone Star State. And I think there's only going to be one Lone Star in this game, and that's going to be the Titans. And that's going to be probably Derrick Henry carving up this uh, Texans team who 
got pretty well beat up last week by Josh Jacobs. And I think Derrick Henry is perhaps even a more imposing task. And so I will give the Texans, or excuse me, the Titans this one over the Texans. They are the lone star of the lone star state on Sunday. And from that, we move on to a game that, do we have to talk about this one? Like, no. do we really have to? Commanders guess, at no. Colts. This is a hard game, too. I, I don't even know, guys. I, I debated this one for a long time as well. Like the Carson Wentz revenge game? Is Maybe. Is, is that, is that <laughs> like the Taylor, He's not even going to play. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. He's not going to play. The, the well, okay, Carson so, Wentz so, on the bench so, revenge game. This is... This is the Avenger. This is... I saw this great clip um, from Taylor Heineke on, I think it was like part of my take or something, where he said that he started this tradition last year where after every game he wins in the NFL, he goes out and he buys a pair of Jordans in the colors of the team that he beat. So he's got like three pairs of Jordans, that's lit. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I didn't do the math there, but... But either way, I just wanted to share that anecdote because I think the Colts are going to win anyway. <laughs> oh Well, in that case, Taylor Heineke is definitely getting him a new pair of Jordans this week because this Colts team, they are tossing in the towel. And I don't blame them because their offensive line is horrible. So best to take Matt Ryan out, avoid having to pay him that $12 million bonus that he would be getting if he's injured and missing the next season because of it. So... Uh, I don't blame their decision to put Sam Ellinger in there at all. Um, That being said, this commander's team is also just god-awful. Excuse me. So, uh, I'll take the commanders with the the three points that I'm getting. I'll take the commanders to win straight up. But I, this is the, I I can honestly say this, this is the closest I have ever been to genuinely taking a tie in the game. Because I think that these two teams both don't want to win so badly that they might just end the game in a tie. I think you guys are on board that the Colts are just not a good team right now. So um, I'm all But I'm it. picking but I, the Colts. Oh, well, John, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> are you really taking the Colts here? <laughs> I feel like we had a good discussion about Tyler Heineke right there. But, okay, John, you sure you want to come over? Is no, I, I, just like talking, I just like talking about shoes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> John, is this confidence in Ellinger or is this uh, just – indictment of like what do you think of the so this is two things this is two things this is i like sam ellinger ellinger because i tend to root for texas football because they are the anti-oklahoma football and i keystone oklahoma football no that's the sooner state hence the sooners but you know good try bud Uh, (laughs) and so I enjoyed his time at Texas, even though they were not really back like they claimed they would be. And so I plan on enjoying his attempt to be an NFL quarterback. And also I am just intrigued to see how his presence, um, affects this running game. If, if, you know, the option or the threat of option could maybe get something going, get Jonathan Taylor a little bit more space. And that intrigue is enough for me to just take them over a really bad commander's team and deny Taylor Heineke his ninth. That's right. He has eight previous wins, pair of Jordans. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I actually I actually think – no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I actually think that this Colts offense is better with 
Ellinger than it is with Matt Ryan, but uh, I'm still going to roll with the Washington Keystones for sure. We can say that, but we don't really know. I mean, that's why this game is so hard to pick, right? Because we don't know what we're going to see out of this this quarterback, young, young quarterback here. And you guys keep trashing on the commanders here, but the, the commanders do have three wins, and their losses against have been against the Eagles, Cowboys, and Titans, which I guess you could say the Titans are a bad team. But um, they, they've beaten the Bears, who dominated the Patriots, and they beat the Packers last week, so maybe the commanders have something going. So that's why I'm taking the, the commanders here, giving me the points. Yeah, but how do we fit the commanders into the flow chart? That's really... Exactly. I'm going to have to consult the flow chart later, and I'll get back to you guys later on that one. All right, moving on with our continuing consultation of various flow charts. Ah, flow another right... battle of the Keystone State. <laughs> flow right along to a battle of, I believe California is the Golden Gate State, hence the Golden Gate Bridge. And nah. this is Keystone 49ers <laughs> at Rams, uh, the game that we have seen previously this year. So this is a rematch, uh, and the 49ers looked pretty convincing in their win earlier in the season on Monday night football in San, well, not really San Francisco, but fake San Francisco. So the question is boys with the Rams being at home with them, you know, playing maybe marginally better football of late. Do we think that they have a chance to turn the tables on the 49ers? Nope. Next game. (laughs) Yeah, full week of practice with Christian McCaffrey. I think the 49ers are going to run away, run away with this with their new weapon. I mean, you all I don't know even how think I it has anything about, to do with that. You all know how I feel about the it, 49ers. It doesn't need to have anything to do with that, but I, that still, I think, is what, what's going to happen. Sorry, go ahead, John. No, no, I, I, I'm happy to hear people heap praise on the 49ers and me not just be alone on this one for once <laughs> in what feels like forever. Um, it is interesting to me that the Rams, you know, coming off their bye, maybe thinking that they have – you know, figured some things out. Mm-hmm. I don't think they figured enough things out, and I don't think they figured out quite how to block Nick Bosa. So I'll still side with my beloved adopted San Francisco 49ers. I'm starting yeah, to really I think like with that, John. Yeah, I'm starting to really like this 49ers team, mostly because they keep beating the Rams who betrayed me and left St. Louis. So Kyle Shanahan you all should, the way. You should be a 40 like this I'm seems like in, a very man. natural uh, fit for you as a 49ers fan. Um, I'm in. I'm all the way in. I, I'm trying to think of what could make a, a team more appealing to you than consistently beating the Rams. Well, if their running backs didn't continually get hurt and ruin my fantasy seasons for like the last 12 years, that would be great. But other than that, as long as I, I will say, this is actually kind of on brand here. I have Christian McCaffrey in so many leagues this year. <laughs> So now that he's a 49er, it makes me so, so scared that he's going to get hurt. But as long as that doesn't happen, I'll stay a 49ers fan. That was honestly my first thought as also a Christian McCaffrey owner in one of my leagues is that, oh my gosh, he's in a cursed backfield now. This is going to be awful. The cursed, yeah, <laughs> so the I'm, cursed running back is in the cursed backfield. So this is not a good combination for injury. This is, this is awful. But <clears throat> he has this week to hopefully run full steam. He has a bye next week, so he won't. Hopefully get injured next week off the bye, uh, so it will be okay for the next two weeks. I, I think I think the biggest thing that John mentioned for the Rams, and I know we've been heaping a lot of praise on the 49ers, is that they are coming off the bye, so maybe they shook something up. So that's the biggest intrigue here. Um, but I think I think we're all in the 49ers here, so it'll be interesting. They, both of these teams are not leading the division though. That's interesting. Yeah, and leading the division. Thank you for that nice segue there, Eric. <laughs> leading the division oh. is the Seattle Seahawks, who take on the Giants done. this week. 
in Seattle. So they'll have the, the 12s State. at their back. In, <laughs> in at what point, the revenge game. At what point game. does this bit get old? <laughs> Is it already two, old? Am two, I past it? Two games ago. Yeah, it got, ah, it got okay. old two games okay. ago. Okay. Um, taking on <laughs> the Giants in Seattle, the Geno Smith revenge game from when Geno Smith was the backup quarterback that momentarily benched Eli Manning and then all of Giants fandom revolted and got Eli Manning another two years as the starting quarterback, two years more than he should have had. Gino's time to shine here, boys. And my question to you is, do you take the fun story of the Seattle Seahawks just completely outperforming expectations, or do you ride with Brian Dable and the Fighting Dables and their impressive 6-1 and one record? Wait, well, for me, the Giants are also outperforming expectations. I mean, come on, who expected the Giants to be 6-1 and one here? And they could be 7-1. and one. This is like a a good matchup like this i understand the seahawks are the favorites here they're giving away three points but this is still a winnable game for the giants it's not like they're being outclassed here so that's that's why i'm taking the giants because i still think they can roll the streak this is still a favorable schedule for them and they've been playing well on the offensive side of the ball uh wanda robinson's back daniel jones has been playing well Saquon barkley's still healthy and he's they're giving him the ball i think the defensive uh scheme has been been doing particularly well for this team and they've been in all the games that they've been playing so i think even if the giants lose which i'm not saying they are i think this will be a close game nonetheless i think it'll be a fun game to watch but i think the giants if you're giving me three points i will definitely roll the giants here and but i also think the giants won straight up see the yeah, seahawks honest, have been good good sorry i was just honestly i mean i could see this game going either way i think both of these teams are overperforming as eric mentioned i'm taking the seahawks to win mostly because i think geno smith uh, is a better quarterback than even the market is reflecting still. But all that being said, this definitely reeks of a game that Brian Dable feels or finds a way to win. So I am kind of nervous about that. But, uh, you know, whatever. I'll roll with the home team in a game that's close, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, the Seahawks have been really good to me this year. Uh, they've come good. I picked them a couple weeks ago against the Cardinals. They rewarded me. I picked them last week against the Chargers. They rewarded me again. I see no reason to pick against them this week because I think outside of Geno Smith, the, the, the noise around Geno Smith has covered the fact that Seattle has a lot of really good young players. We saw Ken Walker last week and what he was able to do in the full-time starting role uh, and just have a really big game. Um, Tariq Woolen, who is one of their young corners, tied for the league lead in interceptions. And... For all the people paying attention, I know the talk around Seattle really has been not Geno Smith, but just what a great job this GM and you know this front office did in sort of setting this team up for life after Russell Wilson with this past offseason. So I know we expected Seattle to be a bottom-tier team. We kind of expected the same thing out of the Giants. But I just think with this game in Seattle, with everything that they have rolling for them and with how well they've treated me the last couple of weeks, I'm going to roll with the Seahawks. I'll quickly mention the, one of the other reasons why I'm kind of cautious about the Seahawks is because DK Metcalf injured his leg, I believe, his knee, I believe. Um, I think Ty Lockett's also hampered with maybe a hamstring injury. Uh, so he, it, this could be interesting wide receiving core for Geno Smith, and we'll see how he plays if either of those players are out. Yeah, definitely a storyline to watch. And we'll move on from that to the two primetime games this week. I don't think we have to say a lot about this Packers-Bills game. It's in Buffalo. 
the Bills are amazing. The Packers are incredibly mediocre. Is there any chance that you guys think that the Packers pull this upset or even cover what is somehow the biggest line of the week and not the uh, Eagles Steelers line? Nope. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about this earlier, John, when you mentioned that the Eagles don't like to go over the top and pour points on like the Bills. The Bills team, they love to do that. They want to break offensive records. Josh Allen wants to throw for 3,000 yards in a game. He wants to score 150 points. And I think the only thing that would hamper this Bills team from winning this game by more than 11.5, which is the current line, is the Packers' pace of play. And if they really, really, really get the run game going, I think that's the only thing that they can do to keep this game close at all. So maybe the Packers cover that way, but I just don't see a world where the Bills don't score a ton of points against this Packers defense. Anything to add, Eric? Nope. 11 and a half points is a lot, and unless Aaron Rodgers pulls out some primetime magic, this is definitely all Bills here. I think it'll be interesting to see this week both of the aging quarterbacks have primetime games against these young sort of new faces of the league, um, that being Tom Brady versus Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers versus Josh Allen. We'll see um, which, if any of them, still have some stuff left in the tank. Even though I'm with you guys, I think the Bills win this one pretty easily, and their offense is certainly enough to cover that line. And so end the, the week with a Monday night game, pretty interesting Monday night game, and that is between the Bengals and the Browns. Why don't you guys take this one away for me? See which one, see which team from Ohio you have a uh, win in the day. Uh, the Battle of the Keystone State. I'm on the Browns in this one and, and uh, the Battle of Ohio, as you mentioned. Um, I don't think that this Browns team is getting the respect that they need to be getting right now, I think. Uh, they've played teams really close. I think the fact that they're missing Deshaun Watson right now still uh, and Jacoby Brissett is at the helm. He's, he's done okay. I mean, I think the... Um, offense has performed about as expected, but for some reason that's still not reflected in the markets. And I think with the loss of Jamar Chase, with the you know potential fluctuation in this offense and having to adjust the game plan going into Cleveland, uh, I think this is an opportunity that the Browns can slow down the pace, keep the running game going. And we've seen already out of this Bengals team this year that they either really show up or they don't show up at all. So uh, I'm going to take the Browns not only just to cover the three and a half points that I'm getting, but I think they're also going to win this game at home. This is an interesting game. It is a primetime game. And like you mentioned, Jamar Chase is injured. So that shakes this decision up a little bit for me. But that being said, the the Browns defense haven't been particularly good. And uh, particularly in the rushing factor, Joe Mixon hasn't played particularly well either, but I think Joe Mixon can still get it going on primetime against this Browns team. And the Bengals still have a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball, whether it be T. Higgins or uh, Tyler Boyd are the two biggest options. And then Hayden Hurst is also a great tight end option that Joe Burrow has been targeting. So I think the Bengals are going to keep rolling, kind of not miss too much of a step without Jamar Chase. And I think they're clearly a better team than this Browns team. And I think the Bengals are going to be just fine in, in kind of pummeling this, this Browns. I, I don't know what we're going to see out of this Browns. Maybe they slow it down enough where Nick Chubb just gets the ball continuously and the Bengals aren't able to stop him. But otherwise, I think the Bengals are just that much better than the Browns. So I'll, I'll take the Bengals with the spread, giving away three and a half points, and also the win straight up. Yeah, Brendan, I'm a little surprised in your willingness to take the Browns in this one. i got to be honest here. 
because there's nothing about this Browns team that excites me. And yes, losing Jamar Chase, as we talked about at the top of the show, that hurts. But there's still plenty on this, lest we forget, defending AFC champion Bengals team that excites me. And it seems like Joe Burrow, after struggling again with you know pressure and, and getting sacked to begin the season, it seems like he's finding much more of a comfort zone, much more of a groove. And so I just... Going with the team here that more excites me as they, you know, take this battle for the Buckeye State <laughs> into prime time, into Cleveland, and I think the Bengals come out of the game with a victory. I hope so, John. Three and a half points is very interesting because Browns have played a lot against close, like I mentioned last week, so it could be a three-point win for the Bengals. But I, I guess I mentioned that I think the Bengals are going to blow them out, so we'll have to see. We will have I'm... to see indeed. Yeah, I'm definitely still on the side that I think the Bengals are overrated based on their performance last year. Um, and, yeah, I, I agree. Their offense, they're going to be fine without Jamar Chase, but uh, I do think it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment. And the reason Joe Burrow has had so much, so much success the last few weeks is because they've drawn up a ton of uh, offensive schemes with uh, Jamar Chase on the outside that can just get him in open space and Joe Burrow can get the ball out quickly, but I, I do think that that's going to take some, um, you know, finagling going into this week and going into the next few weeks as we just got this news today on Thursday that Jamar Chase is out. Yeah. Well, yeah. And again, the injury could hurt the Bengals team maybe more than we're projecting, but still I'm just more excited about what the Bengals have to offer that Monday night game than what the Browns have. But of course the Browns have proven me wrong before this season. So as Eric said, we will just have to see, and we will throw it over to Eric as we go into our fantasy segment for this week. All right. Let's start off with our starts of the week. Uh, one of my favorite segments, because I think it really tests our ability to find these sleeper candidates that we have out there. So this segment is basically we pick a running back and a wide receiver, and we basically get their amount of points that they scored in that week, plus their fantasy consensus rankings at the beginning of their game. Um, however, they must score 10 points to qualify, so you can't just pick any old player at the bottom of the barrel just to get their 100th ranking or whatever. Uh, Brandon, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. I actually, I think there's a lot of good candidates this week just based on uh, the running backs. I think there's some sleepers for sure uh, that, you know, if you're out there in your fantasy league, you're, you got some players on by, maybe you got, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on by, uh, and you're looking for a spot start this week. I think there's some good guys out on the waiver candidate or out on the waiver wire that you can pick up. Um, that being said, I'm going to roll the guy who's probably certainly not on the probably certainly yeah that's that's good English, um, definitely not on the waiver wire and that's Dev, Devin Singletary starting running back for the Buffalo Bills. He's currently ranked number 21 on Fantasy Pros consensus. Uh, he's playing against the Green Bay Packers as we've already talked about that matchup. I am expecting the Bills to put up a bunch of points. Devin Singletary should hopefully get some carries inside the red zone and have a chance to house at least one. Um, and then for just that extra cherry on top, the Green Bay Packers uh, are actually 21st in the league in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed um, against the running backs. So I, I fully expect Evan Singletary to continue having success uh, for the running back position in fantasy. And for my wide receiver pick, I'm actually going to go deeper into the well than I was expecting to this week. I think this one's a little bit chalkier. Um, as far as from the wide receiver standpoint, um, when we're looking at sleepers this week, but 
Uh, I'm going to go with Rondale Moore, the wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. I already said that I think this matchup in Minnesota is going to have a lot of points scored. They had a lot of points scored in this matchup last year. Uh, We've already seen this year that the NFL kind of re-rolled the schedule a few times with games that put up a bunch of points last year. And those matchups have proven to continue to put up an equal amount of points this season when we've seen those. So, again, I fully expect the fireworks to be going in this game. Uh, I mentioned already that I think Rondale Moore being in the slot is going to be uh, very, very important for this Cardinals offense. I think the addition of Robbie Anderson taking that A.J. Green role on the outside is going to free up Rondale Moore to do what he does best, uh, get those quick looks and have that quick quick twitch uh, in the slot. And I I think Kyler's going to be able to spread the ball around uh, heartily this game. So I'll take Rondale Moore. He's number 43 in the Fantasy Pros rankings right now. And that's um, where I'm looking. John, what do you got? So surprisingly, I won this segment last week because previous to that, I had not (laughs) been doing so well. And so I tried really hard not to overthink these. And I went with Miles Sanders, uh, partially because he's on one of my fantasy teams, but mostly because I expect the Eagles to rely heavily on the running game against the Steelers. And I figured... The, you know, the the likelihood that the Steelers win this game is not high, so I might as well pick a player where if the Eagles are doing well, at least I get something out of it. And then for my wide receiver, again, didn't think this too hard on this one. Uh, I went with Tyler Boyd because with Jamar Chase out and given the week that he had last week in that, Offensive explosion for the Bengals. I think I'm just going to ride the hot hand. He's down at number 30, which I think is pretty good value for him. So, Miles Sanders and Tyler Boyd. Yeehaw. <laughs> I love all four of these picks so far. We have Devin Singletary, Rondell Moore, Miles Sanders, and Tyler Boyd. Uh, excellent starts to, uh, sorry, starts of the weeks uh, so far. My two picks here are DeAndre Swift, uh, running back for the Detroit Lions, playing against the uh, Miami Dolphins at number 19. He's coming back from injury, and I think he's definitely had a value here. Sandwich right in between Miles Sanders and uh, kind of Devin Singletary. Uh, I, I think he's going to get right back to where he left off. Uh, I, I, they're not going to play him until he's in, until he's healthy. And I think since he's off the injury report this week, I think they're going to have him go full steam against his Miami Dolphins team, and he's going to get his points. So I think that's an absolute steal. And then finally, uh, my running back, this, or my sorry, wide receiver decision is Wondell Moore. Uh, rookie wide receiver for the New York Giants playing against the Seattle Seahawks at number 36. Uh, I think this is a great matchup for him against the Seattle defense, and he's going to get all the targets that he's going to need to get at least get me over the 10-point threshold, but I think he's going to play particularly well uh, in kind of a fireworks game against the Seattle defense. And he, he played well last week as well, but I, he kind of tapered off in the second half. And I think we're just going to actually see him in full steam, uh, similar to DeAndre Swift in, in his game action this week. So I'm pretty ex- excited to see both of my starts of the week and all of yours as well uh, as we match up uh, this week in this week's game. Um, finally, let's move into start-sit. Uh, we have some interesting uh, decisions this week. Uh, one wide, wide receiver decision, one tight end decision, and one running back decision. We'll start off with Chase Claypool, wide receiver for the... Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers playing against the Philadelphia Eagles or Garrett Wilson rookie wide receiver for the New York Jets 
playing against the New England Patriots. What are you guys thinking, and who would you guys start? So I'll lead this one off because it is one that involves a Steeler. And for me, there are only two players on the Steelers' offense that I really would feel okay about having at this point. And that's Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Because... Everybody else, yeah, Najee Harris, like, running back, he's going to get a bunch of touches, but he's just been so disappointing this year that I don't think you could feel good about having him. And none of those warm and fuzzies extend to Chase Claypool, who I think has honestly worn out his welcome a little bit in Pittsburgh. There have been some talk about him potentially being traded. And I just think with George Pickens on the roster now with the rapport that he has with Kenny Pickett uh, developing that early on. I just think some of the targets that used to go to Chase Claypool just aren't going his way anymore. And so I'll go with Wilson. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to side with John. I'm going to take Wilson. Uh, The thing that gives me pause a little bit is just the amount of targets that Wilson's going to get. As we already talked about, I think this Jets offense is definitely more run heavy than the Steelers offense. Um, All that being said, the reason I'm siding with Wilson in this one is just because the Steelers are going up against the Eagles' pass defense, which is currently ranked sixth in the league in schedule-adjusted fantasy points scoring against the wide receiver groups. So if you do the math and kind of divide that up amongst the Steelers' receiver core, as John was just discussing, I don't have a lot of faith that Claypool ends up with a lion's share of that. So I'll take the opportunity that I get with Garrett Wilson and hope that he finds a big play or the end zone. Yeah, for me, I, th- I think it'll be close. Uh, it was just kind of why it's a start-set decision. I just don't think uh, Zach Wilson's going to be able to get the, gear, get the ball to Garrett Wilson that well against this New England Patriots uh, defense. Well, I think uh, I think Claypool at least has some experience, and I think um, he's getting more targets than, than Wilson, as, as Brandon mentioned. So that's why I'm going to lean Claypool. I'm in the minority here. Uh, but I think he definitely has a chance to sneak one out here. Uh, moving on to a tight end decision, we have Tyler Higby. Uh, tight end for the Los Angeles Rams playing against the San Francisco 49ers or TJ Hawkinson tight end for the Detroit Lions playing against the Miami Dolphins uh, we don't have, often have tight end decisions so I'm curious to know what you guys are thinking here for these two to me this is really rough because neither of these quarterbacks are playing particularly well right now and normally you would think like okay Tyler Higby is an afterthought in this Rams offense, but that's been far from the case this season where really he often has been the number two target in that offense behind Cooper Cup. But I just don't have a lot of faith in what the Rams are able to put up against a 49ers defense and a 49ers coaching staff that just seems to have their number and so that, for that reason, I'm just going to side with the player who I truly believe is the better player and go with TJ Hawkinson. It's a lot I closer. Me, go Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Well, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I would roll with Higby here because, as you mentioned, John, he, he's been number two target, and they're going to need, at least Matthew Stafford's going to need to target him against a tough 49ers defense. Uh, he, he's going to be the safety blanket functionally, and I think he's going to be later with targets right out of the bye. Uh, so that, that's why I'm confidently rolling Higby. I'm, I'm nervous about Hawkinson just because he doesn't get as much volume. And we're expecting DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown to be back. So he's 
he's gonna not get as many targets. He's already already not getting that many targets, so that that just spells even worse for me. Uh, but I think that's gonna be close. So how about you break the tie, Brendan? I'll, yeah, I will break the tie. I, I, this is a lot closer in my mind. <laughs> I don't know why I said that so confidently, but yes, <laughs> this is a lot closer in my mind um, than I was anticipating it to be because I, I do actually think that Tyler Higby is the better tight end to have in fantasy than TJ Hawkinson long-term. But this week in particular, you know, we already talked about the Lions and Dolphins matchup, uh, and the Dolphins particularly are bad against tight ends in fantasy. They're actually ranked ranked 25th in schedule-adjusted scoring against the tight end group. So I I do have faith that this Lions offense is going to be able to move the ball against this Dolphins defense that has uh, a lot of key key skill players out uh, on that side of the ball. And I I just really want a piece of this Lions offense going into it. I think it doesn't take a lot for Hawkinson to find the end zone um, against this Dolphins team. I think they're going to have plenty of opportunities in the red zone to do that. Um, but all that being said, the, the thing that gives me pause with Higby this week in particular is we've seen over the course of the season that Higby is actually the go-to guy for Matthew Stafford when there's pressure coming in. And we do anticipate that there's going to be a lot of pressure from this 49ers line, uh, you know, getting to Matt Stafford in the backfield again, like we saw in the earlier matchup. And in that matchup, Higby had plenty of targets, and that was kind of the hit panic button, throw the ball to Tyler Higby moment for Matthew Stafford. However, I think the key factor here for me is that coming out of this bye, Sean McVay is going to have plenty of plays drawn up and ready to try and conquer this San Francisco 49ers defense that has haunted him since he's been in Los Angeles. So I don't anticipate that there's going to be a lot of plays drawn up for targeting Higby. For that reason, I have faith that Sean McVay has drawn up successful plays to get the ball to other skill position players, and Higby's only going to be targeted when it's time for that break glass, find emergency, throw to Tyler Higby moment where Matthew Stafford's getting uh, under pressure in the backfield. So I I think that Higby's targets will be there, but they won't be what we've been seeing as far as a floor this season for him. For that reason, all of those reasons combined, long-winded, I'm going to break the tie, take Hawkinson. All right. I love the analysis. I am in a minority here. Uh, but I do appreciate you guys taking a look at this. Uh, I do thrive in a minority here, so I'm still confidently rolling out Higby here. Uh, finally, let's roll over running back decision. Uh, we have a three-way this week uh, in Daryl Henderson, running back for the Los Angeles Rams, playing against the San Francisco 49ers, or Tyler Algier, rookie running back for the Atlanta Falcons, playing against the Carolina Panthers, or on the other side of the, of, of the field, Deontay Foreman, running back for the Carolina Panthers, playing against the Atlanta Falcons. Who do you guys think uh, is the best to roll out this week, particularly with possibly two options that are kind of coming off the waiver wire here. Maybe all three, honestly. This one's really tough for me, and it makes it even harder that it's actually my team. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see what your arguments are. I I think that of these three players, Daryl Henderson has probably the highest ceiling just because I think the Rams offense can put up more points than either the Falcons or the Panthers in that matchup that – you know, Algier and Foreman will be going head-to-head against. I'm not anticipating a ton of points in that game, but again, these are two teams that love to run the ball, two teams in the, the Panthers and Falcons, that is, that love to run the ball. They're going to be one-dimensional. They're going to stubbornly go to it. So to me, I, I, I don't love putting Daryl Henderson in my starting lineup this week, despite the fact that I think he's still going to get the lion's share of the work with Kyron Williams not ready to go yet. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just I, I see the higher floor 
being with either Algier or Deonta Foreman. So when I'm looking at that and I'm trying to pick who the main separator for me between two players that have similar floors in my mind would be who do I think is more likely to find the end zone. And when the Panthers get around the end zone, I think that they're more likely to, th- to run the ball rather than throw the ball. And when the Falcons get around the end zone, they're still more likely to run the ball than throw the ball, but they also have Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts may get that red zone target and find the end zone and take that opportunity for Tyler Algier to fall in the end zone away. For that reason, I'm going to side with Deonta Foreman right now, but I honestly can't tell you that that's going to be who I start on Sunday by the time Sunday rolls around. John, do you want to counter with Algier or Daryl Henderson, or you're on the Foreman bandwagon here? No, I'll take Henderson, uh, both for that high ceiling that you talked about, big lover of high ceilings, both in fantasy <laughs> football and in architecture. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just... The Rams are at their best when they are running the football and using play action off of that to get, you know, guys like Cooper Cup and and other guys on that roster into big wide open spaces. We haven't really seen that and I think it's really been to their detriment. And so coming off the bye and with really no competition at the moment for Henderson in that backfield, I just feel like he is the way to go. Uh, Although I do like what Brendan had to say about, you know, uh, Foreman and his goal line opportunities and the way that might play out. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to start with Brendan here. I'll I'll love to take Algier, kind of do a three-way here. But unfortunately, I think Foreman is the better play here. I I think he has a higher ceiling. I think Chuba Hubbard has been practicing this week. So I think Foreman might actually get a dominant uh, line share of the target here uh, of the carries out of the uh, Carolina backfield. And Atlanta defense hasn't been particularly well, uh, playing particularly well, in my opinion. So I think uh, Chua, uh, man, Deontay Foreman is going to showcase his talent uh, in this game. So I'm going to roll Foreman. I'm confident, confidently rolling him out uh, against these other two options here. All right. So All right. That's, Foreman. That's our fantasy yeah. of the week. Go ahead, John. Yeah, so we take it into our last segment this week, and that is, as of as always, the spinning of the wheel. For those who need a little subtle reminder, we have hit twice on our wheel spins this season, and we are a almost healthy 26 units up on the season, despite being two and four in six wheel parlays. We didn't hit last week, although Brendan, props to you for correctly predicting Josh Jacobs to be scoring two plus touchdowns at plus 400 odds. Eric and I just could not pick up the rest of the slack, but we will try to do better this week. And for your troubles, Brendan, being the only winner last week, why don't you go ahead and spin the wheel first? Thank you very much, John. Yeah, I'm not going to roll that um, false confidence into this week, although uh, I I did did feel pretty good to call Josh Jacobs getting in the end zone, not just twice, but three times last week, uh, especially as one who has him in multiple fantasy leagues this year. Uh, And it looks like the wheel's giving me commanders at Colts, so... Uh, another one of those Keystone State matchups. I don't love a whole lot in this game. Uh, but one of the things that I think is interesting coming into the game is that this game has a really low total, currently sitting at 39.5. And, and my gut reaction was to follow the money in this one, uh, roll with the under, just take it. It's easy money. That's the trend that's been going this year. But the more I thought about it, we've got two basically rookie quarterbacks that love to throw the ball. They're not afraid to go downfield and make mistakes, and I think that can lead to turnovers, which, you know, whether or not they're pick sixes or not, that can lead to short fields for these offenses on the other side of the ball to put up some points quickly. So 
I'm actually going to roll contrarian here and take the over 39 and a half at minus 110. And I'm going to hope that there are more turnovers in this game than uh, just the standard running the ball with Brian Robinson and Jonathan Taylor. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. In an ugly game, you go with something that I think sets us up for a pretty good chance of success here. Let me give it a spin here. See what I land on. And it looks like I'm getting Raiders Saints. So when I think of this game, I think of the first thing that I think of is, you know, the Raiders have been kind of on a roll offensively. So I'm looking right now at, you know, some potential over unders, but I see that, you know, Brendan, he's got that. So maybe some point totals. And this is one that I like that has plus odds, and I think I'm going to go with this one. Raiders between 21 and 30 points at plus 135. I think this is something that could get it done. I think we've seen the Raiders put up a fair amount of points in the last couple of weeks, but traveling to New Orleans, you know, maybe the offense gets slowed down just a little bit that it finds that nice sweet spot, sweet spot between 21 and 30. So give me that nice little Raiders team prop there, and we'll kick it over to Eric for the last spin. I'm a big fan of that one, John, as I spin here. And I see that I'm planning on Bengals at Browns on Monday Night Football. So uh, kind of the last one to uh, kind of see if mine hits, if uh, you guys can take me to Monday here. Um, just looking through my options here, I think uh, since we are recording early, I don't have many player props that I'm a big fan of. Uh, so I'm going to roll something simple here that I think is just personally fun to root for. And I'm going to roll Bengals minus one spread in the second half in particular at plus 105. I think the Bengals are going to play against the Browns particularly well. And while the Browns may be playing catch up and trying to outscore them, I think the Bengals just put their foot uh, on the pedal and, and keep scoring against this Browns team. And I think they, perf- they have that opportunity to. Uh, and I think that's something that's going to be fun to see on Monday Night Football in the second half. Basically, the last minutes that we're going to have, um, see if that hits. All right, there you go. So having confidence in the Bengals in the second half, I like that. And rolling our confidence all up into a total of plus 819. So not quite as big as the uh, two that we've hit this season, which have both been in the plus 1,400, plus 1,500 territory. Certainly not as big as the uh, plus 3,100 that we came up short on last week. But I think we have a good chance, boys, to uh, add to our already pretty impressive total from our wheel spins this week. And that brings us to what has been a truly enjoyable and truly impressive, both in terms of the great content and the length of this podcast. So so thank you for sticking with us, all of our loyal listeners. Um, I hope you enjoyed and we will see you all in week eight. So uh, give a shout to listeners, boys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. It was a great time. Hope you guys stick with us the whole way through. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. Let's uh, let's enjoy some football this weekend. Happy Halloween. And happy anniversary to Brendan and his wife, as we mentioned earlier in the show. See you all, guys, in week nine.